0: Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 17. God's word says, This after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of of the lamb. And they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, "Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the lamb." And all the angels were standing round the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him night and day in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them never again will they hunger never again will they thirst the sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and god will wipe away every tear from their eyes amen Gonna look at these words in a moment. But <coughs> let's just pray together, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we come to it this evening, uh, that you would speak to us, uh, that you would open our eyes, uh, that we might see ever more clearly uh, who you are, uh, that we might put our hope in you afresh, and that we might marvel at what you have in store uh, for those who love you and put their trust in you. Come and speak, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, tonight, as we uh, come to these uh, verses, uh, we want to see uh, just afresh uh, that truth, first of all, that we've just been singing there, uh, that our God does save, uh, that salvation does uh, belong to to God and how God has always been working out his plans and purposes in a way that will uh, hopefully encourage our hearts. Uh, secondly, we want to realize afresh also uh, that the fallen, broken nature of this world does not bring God pleasure, uh, and it's not what he desires uh, for our lives. But as we go through this world, in all its difficulties, and all its struggles, Uh, God is holding on to us, uh, and God is helping us. And thirdly, that he has something better in store for us. And there will come a time, a time of healing, a time of renewal, uh, a time when we are in God's presence, and we'll just see a contrast to the brokenness of this world compared to what is awaiting us uh, as we are with God himself. And the context of this, as we have seen, uh, is chapter 6, and this time of kind of great tribulation that will come uh, upon the earth, a time when the Holy Spirit will step back and God's Word tells us that the Holy Spirit is a restraining force in our world today, that if He was not at work, the evil in our world would be much greater And so this is a time when the Holy Spirit will step back and we will see sin and evil for what it truly is. A time of great trouble, uh, a time of great tribulation in our world uh, where many atrocities will be committed. And then we will see the coming of the wrath of God. Difficult word for us to understand, but when we see it in light of the atrocities that are going to happen Uh, we note uh, what that means as God comes and says, no longer, and I'm going to leave creation on its own. I'm going to come, and I'm going to come and judge sin and bring about the beginning of making all things new. And we have this picture in chapter six of these atrocities being committed. And then right at the end of chapter six, Uh, there is the statement and question. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. So here are the people on earth who have committed these atrocities. Evil has been unleashed. And suddenly God turns up on the scene again and they know that they're in trouble. And they're calling on the rocks and the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the presence of God. So terrifying is he. And they ask this question, who is able to stand? As God comes, who is it that will be able to come through this judgment? And that is the question that is answered in chapter 7. Uh, and we see a couple of answers, and it fits in perfectly with what God has always spoken about in Scripture. And so last time, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at chapter 7, and we looked at verses 1 to 8, and we read about this 144,000, and that was 144,000 people from among the Jewish people uh, who were going to come to faith. (laughs) coronavirus. No, it's okay. (laughs) We're going to come to faith. (laughs) I jest. (laughs) This remarkable reminder that God has always had a plan for the Jewish people. And even though the Jewish people at one point turned their back on him, Right throughout the Old Testament, and as Jesus comes, they fail to recognize him as the Messiah. And God institutes the church. Still, God keeps his covenant promises. Isn't that wonderful? They were his chosen people. It's a wonderful lesson in perseverance, isn't it? You see, sometimes we think that we have to persevere in our faith and we think I've got to keep on going and God demands that I need to keep persevering. What about God? <laughs> he has to persevere with us all the time. Uh, and here are the Jewish people and time and time again, they turn their backs on God and yet God perseveres and God says, I'm going to be faithful. You're unfaithful, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep my promises to you. I'm going to keep working out this plan of salvation to a point Where you come to faith. And that's what we see promised here in Revelation. Wonderful words. Uh, This 144,000 won't be the entirety of it. They'll be the first fruits of these Jewish people uh, turning back to God. A wonderful uh, promise that God keeps his covenant. And then secondly, we get this vision that we read tonight. And we have the Jewish people coming to faith, but here is this great multitude that we're going to read about. Those from every tongue and tribe and nation. And it's a reminder again, right from the beginning of Genesis, uh, that God didn't just want to save the Jewish people, but he says salvation is for all. uh, And all will be blessed by the coming of the Messiah, by the coming of Christ. And that is what we See here again. And there's this kind of tension in the passage, uh, a tension back from uh, chapter 6, where God's people in the midst of evil are calling out, How long, O Lord, how long until you come and intervene. And we have to hold that intention with this longing for God to come and to act in our world. Uh, Along with 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And Sometimes we long for God to come and move, and that's a tension that we hold as we look around the world, and that's a tension that we see here tonight in this passage. And on the other side, we think about friends and family who do not know the Lord, And we're glad that God hasn't come yet because we're just desiring and praying that these folks will come to faith. And that's the same tension that God has. He wants to come, He wants to move, He wants to sort things out in our world. He sees the brokenness of creation, and yet He longs to save. Isn't that wonderful? He longs to save. And the wonderful thing about this passage tonight is that as we look at it, we know that this time of tribulation and judgment and difficulty is coming. And yet it will be an unprecedented time of people turning to Christ in a way that the world has never seen. And that gives us great hope that God still desires to save. And in this kind of final window of opportunity, the number turning to Christ Will be many. And so we read these words as we have done. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. After this, we noted before in Revelation that that denotes a fresh vision. This is a fresh picture um, that John is seeing. He's seen this vision of the 144,000. And now this is a new vision, a new revelation, a new picture and image that he is shown. And it is of this great multitude, a multitude gathered from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And I was just thinking, how encouraging must this vision have been for John? Sometimes we just read over these words and they're familiar to us. But we have to stop and think, what would John have thought when he saw this? We live in a time where we live in this globalized world. We're aware of different cultures and nationalities. And we can see now in a way we have never seen before, how the gospel could spread to every tongue and tribe and nation. But John's context was completely different. I wonder how much knowledge he had of the wider world. Certainly he knew that those church planting efforts had begun among the Gentile people. He had seen a number of churches established. And yet the church was fragile And the church was under a tremendous amount of persecution. And he must have wondered. He must have wondered how God was going to fulfill his plans. He must have wondered whether the time would really come where the gospel would spread. That must have been unimaginable for John. And yet here he is in heaven. And he gets this tremendous vision. People, tongues, different tongues, different tribes different nationalities maybe there were some Scots there who knows what he saw but this encouragement that God was going to take the work that the apostles and the early church had established and it truly was going to be a blessing for the whole world what an encouragement that must have been and it's a reminder for us as well that there are those who are ministering amongst unreached people groups in our world, church planting and getting involved in evangelism. And often their work is hard. And often like John here, the fruit of the work is not seen until after they die. It's someone else who comes along and sees that harvest coming. What encouragement they need. They need our prayers. They need our support. And part of our role as the church is to join with the wider group of brothers and sisters around the world to support these efforts uh, amongst unreached people groups to support church planting and to support evangelism. And so here is this great multitude of the redeemed, and they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Uh, And we note a couple of things again, that they are wearing white robes, and they have palm branches in their hands. Who is this great multitude? Who is this great multitude? Well, we read further on in chapter 7, and we read these words. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In order to really understand the power of this passage, we need to fully comprehend who this group is and what they have been through. This is a group of God's people who have been martyred for their faith because they've held on to the word of God, because they've held on to the testimony of Jesus Christ. They have been martyred for their faith we look back and we discover uh, in chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed, as they had been, was completed. It's hard for us to comprehend what the persecuted church goes through, and we're praying for them. We're talking this morning about knowledge and experience. And we have a knowledge that the church is persecuted. Uh, we don't have an experience of that. And we imagine this group of people who have been martyred for their faith, those who have chosen to become Christians during this horrific time on earth. What a commitment that must have been. And making that decision and knowing that it's not just affecting you, but maybe your wife or your kids or your wider family. We have to see the human side of this story and the toil and the trouble that they have gone through. And many of them have lost their lives. And they are given these white robes. White robes that we are told are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you see this phrase, the Lamb, right throughout this section of Scripture. And it's a tremendous reminder and encouragement for us that as we choose to follow Jesus, that Jesus was the first martyr in many ways, that he has gone before us. And how the Lord Jesus must have identified with this unique group of people. And how in many ways they must have been able to identify with the Lord Jesus in a way that we cannot because we have not lost our lives for Christ. Here are those who have white robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. They are those who have gone through this tribulation. They have overcome And now they stand in Christ's righteousness. They are pure before him. And they've got these palm branches. And palm branches were used at that time, uh, much like flags are today. It was a way of expressing joy, expressing celebration. Uh, They were often waved at a time of victory or deliverance. Uh, and we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and the way that he came into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and how the crowds waved their branches. They were in expectation of the deliverance and the victory that he would bring. And yet, that victory and that deliverance looked quite different to what that crowd expected as Jesus died on the cross. And yet, there he won the victory, there he defeated sin. And evil. And here is this group of redeemed people who are now in heaven who can identify with what Jesus went through on the cross, who have stood up for Christ and lost their lives. And they cry out, they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We've noted before in Revelation that often it speaks about loudness, about volume, about people crying out in a loud voice, people worshipping in a loud voice. And I love that. I was just thinking about it this week. And I was just thinking that this is uncontainable worship. That is what this is a picture of. It's a picture of uncontainable worship. Revelation is filled with people and angels and living creatures and elders. And they're all crying out to God and they are proclaiming what God has done for them. And I think worship in heaven is loud because people will not contain or silence what God has done them. I was just thinking about it this week and that's what came to me. And I thought, isn't that how all worship should be? Why do we worship together on a Sunday? Why do we sing praise? Surely it's a public declaration of who God is and what God has done for us. And surely it should be something that we are proud to loudly herald. That we want everyone to know who God is and what he has done for us. To declare the wonders of God publicly. I'm not talking about turning up the volume on the PA system. That's not what I'm talking about in terms of loud worship. I just ask myself the question, how often is my own worship either contained or muted in some sort of way? And actually just praying and asking, what would it look like for us as a church to have uncontainable worship? To really just publicly declare the wonders of God. To be in awe and reverence in His presence eh, on a Sunday, And the theme of the worship here, we've been singing about it, salvation belongs to our God. The theme is salvation. And that's wonderful because here are a group of people who have entered into the fullness of this salvation. Here are those who have known sin and evil in the world. And now they're in the glorious presence of God. And they want to declare who God is and what God is. Has done for them. And we're thinking this morning about the way that we go through suffering in our world, these momentary troubles that all of us face, and yet the glory that awaits us and how it will all be worth it. And that is the picture that we get in this passage. And it tells us something else about this great multitude. It says this, they are before the throne of God and serve him night and day in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Worship. Worship. Here is this group of people who have been serving the Lord Jesus Christ on earth night and day. We must not underestimate the commitment that it will take to turn to Christ during this period of time that we are talking about. No room for nominal Christianity. You turn to Christ, you'll lose your life. And so these are people who are sold out for Jesus, who have committed To serving Jesus night and day on earth. And now they get to heaven. And here they are. And they're before the throne of God. And they're serving him in the temple night and day. And it's this reminder of true worship. Worship declares praise to God. It declares who God is and what he has done for us. But worship involves the whole of our lives. And it's 24-7 night and day And here are a group of people who delight in joyful worship and service before God. And then this beautiful turn of phrase, that he will shelter them with his presence. It's a beautiful phrase. And it just reminds us again that this is a group that have known evil, that have gone through atrocities on earth. But now they are in heaven, and no evil can touch them. Why? Because God is sheltering them with his presence. And we long for that day. We long for that day when evil cannot touch us anymore, when God will truly shelter us in his presence where heaven will be a place of peace and security. And yet there is this promise as well, because these words are also found in Psalm 91. And it says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And here in the psalm is this kind of double aspect to this promise, that in life there will be trouble, there will be suffering, there will be struggle for standing up for Jesus and faithfully following him. But as we do so, we can dwell in the shelter of the Most High, that God will look after us, that God will protect us. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be okay. It doesn't mean that we might not lose our lives for Christ. We know that from this passage here. And yet somehow God is with us. And if we entrust our lives to Christ in this life, then a day will come when not only will we know that shelter but we will fully rest in it. See, in the world, we know something of that shelter and protection of God. And yes, we can rest partially in that. But a day will come in heaven when we will know that in fullness and we will truly rest in Christ, free from the struggles and the suffering of God this world. And so here is this great multitude who are worshipping God. But there's more. There's more people here who are worshipping also. It says this, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I love as you read through Revelation that there's always this ripple effect that one group over here start worshiping and it causes this ripple effect that there's this other group over here that say, wow, this is amazing. I want to join in the worship. That's how worship in church should be. That's what we're all committed to. We publicly declare our worship of God and others see it and say, I'm gonna join in that worship uh, as well. And so here in heaven, in this picture, we have this great multitude from every tongue and tribe and nation and they're worshiping away. And then look back at chapter five, verse 11, because there, uh, Paul gets Uh, Paul, John, sees this vision. And he says this, I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they're encircling the throne and the living creatures and the elders are there as well. And in a loud voice, a loud voice again, they're worshiping. So here you've got this great multitude from every tongue and tribe and nation and add into that tens of thousands times tens of thousands of angels and you've got the living creatures as well and you've got the elders and they're all just sold out in worship to God and not only are they worshiping with their hearts and their minds and their mouths but they're just lying down face down i worshiping. I wonder if you know that, any of that from your own life. Just of worshiping God. And something of what's happening internally is seen in your posture. We see it throughout Scripture. Times when people are just driven to their knees. And other times when they're just lying flat out in the presence of God. And they're worshiping. Just something of that knowledge and truth of who God is just impacting our whole being. And twice it says, amen, amen. Let it be so, let it be so. And what is it that they desire? They desire that all the praise and all the glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength might be to God forever. It's not about them. They have a very clear vision of who God is and what he has done, and their desire is that all the praise and all the glory and all the honor might be to him, not just today as they meet, but forever and ever and ever, that eternity would be filled with praise and glory to God. Beautiful, beautiful picture. And as we come to the end, we see something in heaven of God's provision for his people. It says this never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Beautiful words. We think of Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's part of the picture here. These people who have known oppression. These people who have known struggle. Struggle. We've seen that this was a time of great difficulty in the world. Food shortages, thirst. They've probably known literal hunger and thirst in this life for following Christ. We think about some of our North Korean brothers and sisters, not able to feed themselves, knowing thirst, physical needs, just because they proclaim the name of Jesus. But now, In the presence of God, all those needs have been met. We see the contrast of pictures between what they have experienced in this life for Christ and now what they have been rewarded with in heaven. And this group of people who have cried out, how long, O Lord, who have cried out for justice, who have shed many tears, Now those tears are wiped away from their eyes. And this is a picture of renewal, a picture of rest. It's a picture of eternal peace with God. And just that lovely turn of phrase, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Just that idea, shepherd often looks after the lamb and the idea of a lamb becoming the shepherd. And yet here is the one, the true lamb of God who was slain for them, who has walked some of that path but has bought their salvation. And now he is the good shepherd. He is the one who is watching over them. He is the one in whom they find their shelter. He is the one in whom they find their rest. And this is a unique group of people here in Revelation. But God is the same and his promises are the same for all of us as God's people. And as he is the good shepherd for them, so he will be the good shepherd for us. And as they have been oppressed by their enemies, and yet God has prepared a table for them in the presence of their enemies and honored them and exalted them for following Christ, so God does the same for us. And he is our shepherd who watches over us in this life, and he is the one whom we will rest in in eternity. And these promises that we read about in God's Word this picture reminds us that one day they will be fulfilled. It will be a reality that our faith is not in vain, that our hope is not in vain, that there is something greater awaiting us in Christ and that should encourage our hearts and should lead us to a place of worship and of saying, I'm going to give my all to you because you're worth it and I look forward to that day that I'm going to be in your presence. Take heart. Be encouraged, God is good, worth following. Let's pray together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We thank you for that promise. A promise that has sustained many of us in life. We thank you that we are not alone, that you watch over us. And we know that it is not your desire uh, for suffering in our world. We know that it is not your desire that creation would have been broken and fallen because of sin. We know that you mourn over our world and that you long to make all things new. And yet you are merciful and you are gracious and you long that none would perish. And we think about our friends and our family, those who do not know you. And in our hearts, we name them before you. And we pray that they would come to know Jesus. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And we thank you that one day we're going to join that band of people worshipping you. We're going to join along with that great multitude. And we're going to sing your praise, O Lord. And we're going to declare that salvation belongs to you alone, O God. And Lord, we look forward to that day. But we thank you that we don't need to wait to bring you our worship and our praise. And we pray that our worship would be uncontainable, that it wouldn't be muted or silenced, but that we would publicly declare who you are and what you have done for us. And we ask that as we end this Lord's Day that a song of praise might rise up in our hearts a song of praise that would carry on throughout this week as we live to serve you, as we live to proclaim to others what you have done. And we pray that you would see us faithful and we thank you that you are faithful to us and we entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen.